Notice something here? And the wardrobe. You know, I love my MAC lipstick. <laughs> this is the MAC I'm here to talk about today, girl. Come on. Live your dream, but don't sleep. Don't sleep. Because she might disappear. Saw that? Wait, right? Yeah. She came back, though. She likes she like you. All right, let's hit it, and we're following the queen. Um, that this summer is, uh, it's about to be a white boy summer. That was a compilation of a few celebrities speaking in African-American vernacular English. But because they're not black, it's known as a blackcent, a blend of black and accent, a term used to describe speaking in a way that mimics or mocks black vernacular by a person who is not black. And it's a blackcent because that's not their normal speaking voice. And when Billie Eilish spoke with a black scent, her own brother Phineas openly called her out during the live stream. Hey Billy, why are you speaking with an accent? Huh? Phineas comes in, he watches a lot of these David Dobrik videos. <laughs> what are you doing? You sound nothing like yourself. Because that's how I talk. That's how I talk. It's nothing like you. However, the influence of African-American vernacular English, otherwise known as AAVE, goes beyond mere tone and voice. Many of the widely used internet slang terms now ingrained in pop culture and online communication have roots in AAVE. Expressions such as slay, tea, yas queen, period, and woke have become commonplace in everyday conversations and on social media platforms. And that's thanks to your local cool black person sharing part of their culture. But AAVE runs deeper than just modern slang. The exact origins of AAVE are debated by linguists. One hypothesis proposes that the earliest form of AAVE emerged from African slaves coming into contact with their enslaver, learning their dialect in order to communicate with them, and over time this dialect evolved into AAVE. But another is the Creole hypothesis that proposes that AAVE began by mixing various West African languages with English to create a new means to communicate. And on December 18th of 1996, the Oakland Unified School District passed a resolution for public schools to use AAVE as a tool in teaching standard English and to provide resources to help educators. But this move sparked national outrage. And for the past two decades, AAVE has been unfairly stigmatized as lazy, broken, or inferior compared to standard English when spoken by black individuals yet perceived as edgy and trendy when imitated by non-Black individuals. AAVE is Black culture, and it's not the only aspect of Black culture being appropriated. This is Uniquely Milwaukee. It's everything you love about community stories, but more in depth. Giving the stories the time and attention they deserve. Changing perspective one episode at a time. I'm your host, Salam Fathayed, and this is Uniquely Milwaukee, stories that stick with you. Preparing for this episode began with Taylor Swift, specifically a puffer sports jacket she was wearing that had Travis Kelsey's number on it. It was designed by Kristen Yuzik, and she was described by USA Today as a mastermind designer. And from this design, she ended up getting a licensing deal with the NFL. And this is a great feat and an amazing accomplishment. I'm not going to take that away. But I wouldn't have had this reaction if the public story around this spinned it as revolutionary. The concept of turning sports jerseys into dresses and outerwear was part of Y2K era culture. And it was already done by the likes of Beyonce, Mariah Carey, and Maya. 
yet rarely they received acknowledgement. And this happens time and time again. Twerking started in the early 90s during the creation of New Orleans bounce music, but introduced to the pop world by Miley Cyrus in the music video for her hit single, We Can't Stop. Hound Dog became an instant hit for Elvis Presley and is known as one of the most recognizable pop songs in history, but was originally recorded by black artist, the rhythm and blues singer Ellie Mae Big Mama Thornton. black culture in but black people out and in order to have this conversation i reached out to lexi s brunson she's the owner and editor-in-chief of copyright magazine she is a multifaceted professional with a bfa in interior architecture and design and an ma in media studies and according to her bio she's obsessed with everything urban so first question i guess is to you what is black culture Black culture is, I think, how I understand it, is original do-it-yourself culture. Mm -hmm. Because Black culture is nuanced from the historical presence of disenfranchisement, right? Um, Bringing these bodies over to this place where they're isolated from their resources and having to, you know, kind of deal with the surroundings that you have. So, um, you know, really pulling from the environment and the resources that you have, which were minimum. And so when you think about um, black culture and it's food. You think about the scraps and how you take the scraps and combine them and make them. Um, when you're thinking about fashion, it's really from the articles of clothing and pieces of material that you have lying around and making them into something that you can express yourself with. Um, so for me, black culture is really about inventing based off of your resources that you have tangible um, and building off of the environment around you. So if I was to say, you know, Black culture has influenced American culture, would you agree or disagree with that statement and why? (laughs) Absolutely it has. Um, I think that inventiveness has really allowed um, America to thrive, right? So first thing, you have um, a population that was free labor for a very, very long period of time, right? So you're already gaining off of that. Um, Then the things that we do, Though that like utility clothing, work clothing, mm-hmm. all of that that has moved into mainstream everyday wear is totally based off of working. You have to be working. You have to be, um, you know, doing stuff that allows utilitarian um, assets to be a part of your wear. Um, and all these little things that you don't say is high scale, right? Everything that is not high scale, if you if you look at the root of it, it comes from Black culture because there is no monetary value, quote unquote, to the things that we have created because we didn't have that type of resource. Mm-hmm. So think about creating something without a monetary resource, you get black culture. And so all of the things that we're seeing now, like wearing a do-rag, it's about laying down our hair, right? Or mm-hmm. a bonnet or um, the orna- different types of ornamentation made out of non-precious metals and gems, like all of that kind of stuff is is based off of well what do you have available mm-hmm. so you can just see that um 
in everything that we're doing in American culture. Um, the roots are coming off of that struggle and survival. Um, so I just think it's all linked. Our yeah. economic process is linked to that culture. Um, how we wear our clothes is linked to that culture. Um, and what is acceptable in um, everyday environments is linked to that culture. Lexi's correct with the statement that everyday environments are linked to Black culture because it traces back to labor of enslaved Black individuals who played pivotal roles in building America's infrastructure, from constructing roads, buildings, ports, rail lines, to landmarks such as the White House, the U.S. Capitol, from Wall Street in New York, named after a wall constructed by enslaved individuals, to prestigious institutions like Harvard Law School. They all have roots interwined with Black contributions. Returning to the present, I asked Lexi if she had any notable examples of Black influence in contemporary society. Luxury apparel. Luxury apparel is one that I I see all too often. So um, repetitive branding marks um, is absolutely from Black culture. Why did Black designer change the face of luxury fashion forever? Dapper Dan, he utilized monogram print excessively, known as Logomania. And this is where an item has the logo of a brand all over it. In the 1980s and 90s, Dapper Dan would place luxury logos or other brand symbols on fabrics. And this style became widely popular with rappers. They were using luxury branding marks in repetitive format in order Mm -hmm. to showcase um, customized assets um, for different individuals, especially during the early era of hip hop. because they weren't allowed to go into those boutique stores that sold those items, right? And now that you see that these items are on the runway and are the the high-selling items that you see in luxury brands. So when you see those repetitive patterns, whether that's Louis Vuitton, so many different brands that have this repetitive mm-hmm. pattern, that's definitely one of them that absolutely came from that. In fact, in 2017, Gucci made a jacket that looked similar to one Dapper Dan did in the 90s. Gucci was called out on social media for stealing Dapper Dan's ideas. And after the backlash, Gucci eventually reached out to Dapper Dan, who began making custom Gucci designs and now has his own Gucci store in Harlem. So why do you think then there's always a discrediting of influence? Because whoever's in power gets to say... <laughs> who, who who's responsible so black culture is from the black community black mm-hmm. community has been disenfranchised since they appeared in the americas and before that with all the colonization that happened globally so you don't have to tell the people that you've oppressed for centuries <laughs> that they invented anything. You don't have to give them credit. You don't even give them credit for their own bodies. You don't give them credit for their own genius. So you don't have to give them credit for the things that they've done um, during this period of survival, which is an everyday thing. So mm-hmm. it's really easy to dismiss who has contributed when when we look at society, they're at the bottom of you know the totem pole, the hierarchy still exists in our society. So you don't have to give it to anybody who doesn't have a voice um, in an in a economic way. You don't have to give it to anybody who doesn't have say so at a high amount in a political way. You don't have to give them credit because you have power. So I think it's just often one of those um, things that come with the territory 
Mm -hmm. Um, If you are disenfranchised, we can continue to disenfranchise you. Want to know how Lexi answers this question? In your opinion in music, who do you think has more influence on pop music right now? Hip hop or the Beatles? (laughs) Stay tuned after the break. Do you want to know the secret behind the programming you love? It's all funded by the honor system. As a public radio station, we're based on a very simple model. We try to do something meaningful, connecting with you through music and stories. And then we count on those who appreciate what we do to show their support. Are you one of them? Show your support by visiting RadioMilwaukee.org and joining today. One way we can look at Black culture being adopted is going back to the origins of Blackface, a performance tradition in America theater for roughly 100 years, beginning around 1830. According to Richard Osborne in the publication of Blackface, Minstrelsy, from Melvin to Moby, he believes that the fascination with Black culture began with the demeaning, exaggerated parodies from this era. This explicitly racist form of Black exploitation was the most popular form of entertainment during the 18th and 19th centuries, which ultimately helped normalize white appropriation assimilation of Black cultural art forms. In your opinion in music, who do you think has more influence on pop music right now, hip-hop or the Beatles? (laughs) (laughs) Who did the Beatles get it from? That would be my answer. Who influenced the Beatles, right? That answer is Chuck Berry and Little Richard, as the Beatles cited them as sources of inspiration. And according to Kevin Chappell's article titled How Blacks Invented Rock and Roll, He states that the biggest lie in the music industry is that white people created rock and roll, that the origin of rock and roll was born out of the black blue music in the 1950s and originally played in nightclubs in cities like Memphis, Harlem, Chicago, and was renamed rock and roll by disc jockey Alan Freed when white teenagers all across the country began to fall in love with quote-unquote race music. You know, the Beatles, they have their thing, but also I know who they were influenced by, so I would bring it all the way back and that it's the nuance of hip-hop and what inspired hip-hop and what inspired, you know, all of that. Yeah. Well, there was a study that said um, hip-hop has, like, a significant influence than that, and now there is, it shows that over 70% of its consumers are white. This comes from a study that's done by the University of Georgia that explores why young white suburban adults are consumers and fans of hip hop music. Because while the hip hop music industry is predominantly black, studies consistently show that over 70% of its consumers are white. This study was done in 2007 with four focus groups consisting of 19 individuals in total. The study yielded six distinct themes that all speaks to why young white people are attracted to hip hop music. Number one, rebellious motivation. Number two, appropriation of blackness to be quote unquote cool. Number three, to fit in. Number four, empowerment. Number five, an educational tool for learning black vernacular English. And number six, physical release and expression through dance. When you hear that statistic, what do you think about and where do you go? It's, (laughs) I'm not shocked. Right? Because we see this with all the other popular forms of music. We see this with rock. We see this with jazz. So I think it was inevitable. I think it was inevitable for it to happen. Um, I also note that hip hop is a spectrum 
of music, right? Mm -hmm. It is not just one type of hip hop. So there's palatable hip hop. I would call it palatable um, for society and mass society. There's underground hip hop. There is conscious hip hop. There, you know, there's all these different parts of hip hop. So I think now as hip hop has grown, it has different types of messaging that appeals to different types of demographics. And so um, I think, you know, people in society are going to pull towards it for the different types of messaging, sound and aura that they can get from it because it is not a monolith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a follow-up question to that, in a time where I feel like the pacing of things that are being released is getting shorter and shorter. So, you know, there's more trends, there's more sounds and um, there's kind of been like a melting pot and mix of everything and it loses its, it loses its essence and its history and heritage in the future. What do you think black culture will look like in thinking about it from this time? I think, I think it will be louder and prouder and harder to ignore. Um, so I look at I look at studies and research and imaginations of Afrofuturism as what black culture could be. And I think because we are absolutely in a digital age, we are in the information era, we are um, tapping into AI and its possibilities. Mm -hmm. I think on the back end of that, um, black culture will have nuance of that technology, of those abilities, but that are still rooted in our history of being disenfranchised, being othered, um, being seen as otherworldly, whether that's a positive or a negative thing. Mm -hmm. and so I think it will look more like that. I think we will move into an age where black culture celebrates um, the innovation of society and the innovation of the now, but always connecting the past. I bring you back to Milwaukee. Any Milwaukee creators that you would like to mention that you think are making a wave in culture in this city and beyond? Wow. <laughs> Not like that. That is, that is crazy. Um... So I have a creative in the room who is like, me, me, me right now. Uh, yes, <laughs> we love it. <laughs> oh, yes. Even though I'm biased, Vito Hill. Um, and I will choose him not only because he is my partner, but also because there's this there's this duality of being an academic and also being a fine artist and also being an activist and um, a, a community placemaker. I think that creatives that are multifaceted are the change makers in Milwaukee. You have to do multiple things mm -hmm. in order to actually move the needle forward. You have to be seen in multiple ways. Um, you have to sit at multiple tables. Mm -hmm. And so People like him who are doing that are the ones who are making all the difference because they get to connect the dots and hear the conversations in so many different ways and then strategically think about how do we use this information to best benefit our community and prosper. Before wrapping up with Lexi, we talked about how we can move from exploitation to appreciation. Here's what she had to say. Celebrate the people who've originated the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So if you say, I like this style, 
um, note where you got the style from. Yeah. Note first people to do it. Please don't say Kim K invented cornrows. Wow, that's it's a, it's a wild thought, right? But this is a conversation mm-hmm. with that. Please note the person who did it first. Be inspired and admire that it exists, mm-hmm. especially when it's coming from you know, a history that is really, really deep and rooted in inequality Mm -hmm. um, and that it should be a light that says we can endure a lot and that endurance can also be seen as a positive thing. Hi, I'm Kim Shine, Production Manager at Radio Milwaukee. Thank you to our host, Salam Fatayer, Tariq Moody, our Executive Producer, and Brett Kraskowski, who is our Web Editor. Thank you to our marketing team led by Sarah Lahr, our graphics and wonderful logo made by Aaron Bagata. Mallory Wallace is our Community Engagement and Membership Manager, and Dan Reiner and Darren Brewer handle our social media. A big thank you to City Loving members for making Uniquely Milwaukee possible. Tune in next Tuesday for our next episode.